0: Looking at Luke 8, starting in verse 9. Pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we open your book of life, I just pray that these words written many years ago for the benefit of your church, as we seek them out today, we find wisdom and guidance in them, Lord. I just pray that you use this message to advance your kingdom, to strengthen your saints in Jesus name. Amen. Luke 8 starting in verse starting in verse 9. Those disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Those are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for those in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one after lighting the lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under the bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, it will be taken away. You may be seated. Again, you know what I've been. Saying in these messages, what we saw in the book of Acts is explained more precisely in this parable. There will be those who believe, those who do not believe, and many of those who do not believe, or some of them, will be total enemies of the church. And in between there, there will be those who ponder, they hear the word. It takes a while for it to take effect, but sooner or later they'll go out of one side of the fence to the other. But also, this I want to stress here, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. That's to you, to me, to us, to every believer. We are. We know the secrets of the kingdom of God. That's why you're here. That's why you don't reject God's word. And it also says, take care then how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given. More will be given. We should be seeking out that more for each one of our lives to be effective members of God's kingdom, to have an influence on the culture. That's our task. You know, we looked at the book of Acts. We looked at the different cultures that were in there, the different governments. We looked at the turmoil the early church went through, what the saints endured, which was a lot, Yet we saw what? We saw the church grow. We saw the church advance. In spite of the opposition of the Jewish leaders, the Roman government, and from businessmen, whoever, whatever, there was turmoil, struggle. But when God's people do things God's way, the church advanced. The Roman Empire declined. Took three hundred years. Emperor Emperor Constantine the Great, in three thirteen, he ended all hostilities with the Christian faith. All hostilities. And after later on in that century, I think it was about three eighty. Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, what was left of it anyway, which led to explosive growth. It was a ground up movement. It was from people like you and I believing and sharing our faith. And as more and more believed, the culture changed. Culture changed, the government changed, the ruling authorities changed, the hostilities ended. God's word was proclaimed, God's word was held dear to the people's hearts. Not all, enough that it was the influence of the culture. It was a blessing for the church. However, man has a way of screwing things up. And in 590, Pope Gregory initiates great military and political power within the church. You see, even from the get-go, when they said Christianity is now the religion of the Rome, the Roman Empire... They started a top-down religion. Was birthed. They wanted religion to be like the Roman Empire, how the Romans ruled it. Except we'll make it Christian, and that started a gradual decline, because that isn't how Christianity works. It's from believers up, not from rulers down. And that pattern of power, when Pope Gregory, you know, he initiated, like again, he great military power, and then the church joined with political power. And the pope said, great power. And then they, they welded the sword through the political part. And the church declined again. until the Reformation. In this time, a power of the ruling church, like men do, sinful men, throughout history, they like power, they like to keep it. So the scriptures pushed down from the common people. The rulers could say what they believed they said, They promoted the teachings of the church. Some of it was still scriptural, but they selected biblical teachings. the Roman Church added a few other things: relic selling, pretty much almost relic worshipping. You had to get your relics. You could heal people, supposedly. They also had indulgences, pay for your brethren who went before you to get them out of purgatory. Again, great power and they used that power to try to separate the people from their productivity, their money, their grain, whatever. Many of the people lived like paupers. The Church of Rome grew fat and wealth, huge cathedrals, buildings, buildings all over. The rulers lived lavishly at the expense of the people. And the true Christian faith was lost. Similar to the Old Testament when the Sanhedrin. When Jesus walked the earth, he called it, you're doing the work of your father, Satan. At this time, the Roman Catholic Church was pretty close to that as well. And the reason we're looking at this stuff is because we're looking at the culture that young Calvin grew up in. History is a tool to learn from. We need to learn something because this nation is not doing well. The church is to be the culture carrier. We are to have the influence. We must go back and study the history. And how we grow up, how we're influenced matters in our lives. Calvin grew up emperors, rulers, the church. And I will say one thing. The church held high standing in every culture then, even as bad as it was. People recognized they needed God. But it was a corrupt system of favoritism. Colleges and universities were taught by humanists who are dedicated to preserving the Church of Rome, its power and its influence, right down to the teachers. The congregations led by the the priests or the vicars, the same thing. You had to give your allegiance, your full allegiance to what you were taught by the Roman Church, or you would not advance in society. If you bucked the teachers in any way, too bad, you weren't going any further. You went against the priests, the church leaders, same thing, you were in the pulper section. Because most of these were appointed by the emperor, or the pope, or their down-the-line people. or The pope and the emperor, I mean, it was... All the preserved power. And also, Calvin, there was, had various other things going on as well. There were kings in these providences. The king of England, king of France. There was the emperor who was supposed to be over everybody. And there were wars between these officials. England and France had the 100-year war, they called it. Fought same over the same territories over 100 years. And then you had the parliaments, which were a good thing, elected by the people. But they also fought against the kings, the emperor, the church. What we see is there was a lot of conflict. And what did the common people want? Just like we want. We want a liberty and to be kind of left alone. To worship God without the government in our back pocket all the time. It was a culture of conflict that young Kelvin grew up. It was a, a culture where he was used to having these domineering churches, political areas over the people. And it did influence him. You know, it's just like us. We've grown up in a pietistic religious worldview. And more lately, along with that, the rapture view. And both of these are devastating because it means the church people step back from influencing the culture. And how has that worked out for us? Many of us older people with gray hair know how things have changed so drastically in this culture. And we're not winning it. We must never step back. We're in a fight. And we might as well realize it. time of Calvin, if you wanted to get ahead, you had to rub shoulders with those in power, the church, church leaders. Fortunately for Calvin, his dad knew how to play the game. He rubbed shoulders or sucked up to the local church, however you want to put it. And they rewarded young Calvin because they saw something in him that he was teachable, intelligent. So the churches would get the tithes, and from the common people it was tithes of barrels of wheat. So Kelvin was given barrels of wheat from the collections for his education. They'd take the wheat, him and their father, they'd exchange it for his education, either selling it. But these special privileges, special scholarships but for those who were loyal to the church. And as long as your allegiance stayed to the church, the Roman church, your scholarship continued. You are not told a lot about young Calvin's life. We know his mother died when he was six. He does say there was devotions, but I, I want you to hear what he says about his youth. And you could do a whole sermon series on this. He said, A childhood is traversed with the guidance of parents, teachers, and masters. Without authority and discipline, childish ways distort character, a perversion not easily remedied in later life. Do you think we live in an era of childish perversions? Where young people will not mature and take on the mantle of responsibility? How much will the furries contribute to this society? As an example, You know, this is an honest portrayal of men and man. If we can find a road of ease and comfort and fulfilling our own desires, we'd much rather take it. And I'm guilty as much as anybody else. It has to end. These childish fantasies where men do not grow up to be men leaders. Now, trying to find somebody even to work. It's because of these child fantasies. No discipline. We've seen it coming in the schools. Everybody's a winner. No discipline. Childish perversions. You know, it's part of our sin nature. Parents. Discipline your children. Educate your children. Teach them that they have a responsibility, a mantle of taking over. Having them skate through life is pathetic. Like Kelvin said, a perversion not easily remedied in later life. And he's right. God was working in the hearts of men, God will always bring men in to purify his church when it strays. We saw that in the Old Testament time and time again. Conflict is inevitable, but God uses that conflict to bring forth great leaders in the church. Shortly before Calvin's conversion, Martin Luther did challenge the Roman Catholic Church, nailed his theses on the wall, Wittenberg at the door. The Reformation started in Germany. But God's timing is perfect because, along with the Reformation, the printing press was invented. And what brought about was the scriptures were transformed, translated into the German language, and printed and given to the common people again. Pamphlets, articles on Christianity. It could only be spread because of the printing press. It's amazing how God was working. You know, it's a reminder for us governments and churches become tyrannical when they suppress the truth. It's all a sign of tyranny when the truth is suppressed. that's why we see the suppressing of truth today in our society. Again, patronage was everything to the church. And as you got older, if you wanted to continue your education, you had to find patrons from the aristocrats, the higher society, who would fund your higher education, which Calvin did as well. However, these funds always came with that string attached. Toe the line or we'll pull the string and pull the funding. These young scholars were always on a leash. You had to go with your funders' views of the world. Those funds ended. You know, he went the first school he went to was the College of Capetes. We have little about his early studies. However, we do know these colleges were run like monasteries. It wasn't easy. Long hours and poor food. Erasmus, one of the contemporaries at that time, said. One of the things that stuck with you the most from these schools and stayed with you the longest was the lice and the fleas. We do know there was poor diets in there and Calvin suffered from digestive issues his whole life. Probably from the poor food. He went to other schools, other colleges. We're not sure what he was really studying. He was not a theologian. Although religious classes would be taught in every one of these schools. We, don't know, we do know by his father's advice he switched to a student of law. Remember, Calvin was not a believer at this time. He was taught by some of the most scholarly humanists of the day. He was a strict, strict student of history. And these humanists did recognize the church. And the classes on church dogma was always taught. Calvin liked studying the works of Seneca. You should remember that from the book of Acts. He was an advisor to Nero. That kept Nero in check until Nero decided to have him killed. But his writings today are still... With us. But what we learn here, that God uses all things to develop, to develop the nature of his saints, the wisdom of his saints. Godly men or ungodly men. Kelvin stayed friends with some of these men who were never believers because he saw their intellect and many of the godly things they taught, even as non-believers. You remember forsel bringing up in the sermon, how it was the sons of Cain, they wrote the inheritance of Cain, who God gifted for metal works and for agriculture. God uses all people. Kelvin was aware of that. He learned that. But listen to what his schedule was at Montague. They woke up at 4 a.m. and started their formal studies at 5. At 7, Mass was heard, followed by a meager breakfast of bread. And the studies went on until about 8 o'clock at night, with short breaks for lunch and supper. A brutal schedule. However, it trained Calvin... In an unbelievable work ethic. He maintained that schedule his whole life, rising up at four and working late into the night. It was a blessing to him. We're looking at this to see how God works in the lives of men, in all types of governments and accepted religions. And again, our God uses non believers to form us. And I'd say he even uses it to form us after we're believers. You know, if it's a biblical principle taught by a heathen, it's still a biblical principle. But all areas of life, God is in control. And all these teachers are molding this great reformer for his future service to God. It would be an influence for us because he would be a reformer of the church. But he was used to being under the Roman rule, the Roman church. The right of the aristocrats, kings, emperors. This was normal for him as it was for all. This is a culture he grew up in. And when he became a believer, these would be the struggles he would have to conflict with. What truly is the godly way of life for a believer? How has a culture influenced my life? How has it influenced your life? We have grown up, again, in a culture of tolerance. Of a culture of the church not being involved in the government, not being involved in many things. We have to look at ourselves and look at our culture and look what we grew up in and challenge our own thinking as to, is this right? You know, we can't be waiting for a government leader to come and save the church. Our only king is King Jesus. He builds his kingdom through you and I, from the ground up. culture we live in has its influences on us. And that tension is what I hope I bring in these messages. That tension that we question how we're brought up, what we're doing, and why are we losing our culture. And it hasn't started with this generation. It's what we've been taught and taught and taught. Like an example I used in the past, a lady takes a piece of beef to cut, put in the pan. She cuts a little corner off and puts it in the roast pan. And her daughter says, how can we do that? How can we cut that piece off and put it on top? She says, I don't know. Mom did it. So they asked their mom. They had a get-together, and they asked their mom, how can we cut the piece of meat off and put it on top and then put it in the pan? She says, I don't know. Grandma always did it. So they asked Grandma, and they said, Grandma, how can we always cut the little piece off and put it on top. She says, well, I had a lot smaller pan than you. It's the only way it fit. But they just kept doing it because that's what they grew up with. What do we keep doing because we grew up with it? I want us to have the tensions. I want us to challenge the cultural norms. I'm not saying I have the answers. But we have to figure it out because what's working isn't working in our nation. We must mature as the saints of God to affect the culture for God's kingdom. Period. That's our duty. That's our responsibility. And my prayer is that God will pester your sleep. He will pester your life. So he forces you to question, what am I doing here? Seek out the answers of absolute truth. And I pray and God says it will come to us. Again, these are the questions Calvin would face after his conversion. How do we treat the government? How do we treat the kings? How do we treat history? Again, he was a student of history. Man is sinful at nature. Man repeats the same sins time and time again. We see the rise of nations in the fall, and you can see it, they last about 250 years. They get top heavy, fall away from God, and God judges them. Kelvin did have struggles with the church and the hierarchy. And at this time, the writings of the reformers are spreading through the nations, influencing many. Zwingli and Pharaoh were instrumental at spreading the truth in France and Switzerland in the early 1530s. At that time, Calvin bowed the knee to a new king, King Jesus. Here's what he stated. God, by a sudden conversion, subdued and brought my mind to a teachable frame. Now isn't that a mouthful? What does the Bible say? Obtain knowledge, obtain wisdom. Calvin was obtaining knowledge, but he didn't have the wisdom. Now he had the wisdom, a teachable frame. He could take that knowledge and turn it into biblical wisdom. God, by the sudden conversion, subdued and brought my mind to a teachable frame, which was more hardened in such matters that might have been expected from one one of my early period of life. Having thus received some taste and knowledge of true godliness, I was immediately inflamed with so intense a desire to make cro- progress therein that although I did not altogether leave off all other studies yet pursued them with less ardour. Calvin's life was changed forever. He now had a new tension, how do I serve King Jesus? A tension we should all have. What is my responsibility to Christ and his kingdom? was now pondering in the life of Calvin. He is slowing down on his other stuff, seeking to mature as a believer. He did continue attending the Catholic Church. Where else could he go? But he saw more and more the sins of the leaders, the sins of the church, and God brought more and more reformers into his life. More and more literature was being translated in the French from the scriptures, the French Bible. The word of God was getting opened up to the people, to Europe. Some of these territories, these kingdoms, accepted the reformed religion by the princes who reigned there. Some didn't. Some tolerated it. More growing tension between Rome. More growing tension between these regions. And in between that, there were always wars here and there. The established Catholic Church was horrific in its heavy-handedness. To remain in power. It was nothing but cruel. The name of God. They were burning people at the stake. They were torturing them, racking them. Does God really want that out of His people? Or is that more like the Baal worshippers who burned their own children? Non-compliance was unacceptable and severely dealt with. That's your. That's what Calvin grew up with. People he knew were burned at the stake and many others. Remember, this is a restoration time of the church, a restoring to bring it back to its purity. Not to the apostolic age, but to the time of elders and deacons, the normal transfer of the church power. It needed that because the teaching had been so eroded by the the Roman church. Again, it looked more, more like the Church of Satan. Change was not going to be easy. But even the Reformers were challenged and wrestling with different beliefs. So there was more tension, more struggle. Martin Luther and Zwingli were fighting over the Eucharist and they hated each other. I mean, i got to give these guys credit. They had their zeal but I think a lot of that zeal was because what they saw and lived with the culture they lived in how heavy handed the Roman church was they even rejoiced when others were burnt at the stake, other reformers who didn't agree with them Luther and the Eucharist the Lutherans held consubstantiation which means the spirit of the the Lord is in the elements. Zwingli taught like we believe. It's a sign. It's a representative. Catholic Church was transubstantiation. They believed it turned exactly into the body and blood of Christ. But These were chasms between the Reformers and, obviously, against the Roman Catholic Church. They treated both of them with equity, though, the Roman Catholics. They'd burn them all, burn them both. We saw the rise of the Anabaptists. Their aim was to restore the church to the apostolic era. And like I say, these are brief explanations. They're they're far deeper than what, uh, more nuances than what I'm going to get into so they were questioning everything the Church of Rome was doing and what the Reformers were doing. And they were against uh, infant baptism. And again, these people were very hostile to each other over these differences, the Reformers. Calvin could see this. We had the Libertines. They had esoteric leaders, which meant they believed that there was a few chosen that could understand the scriptures. They're antinomian, rejecting religious and moral authority over them. So now you had all these groups fighting among each other. So there couldn't be a lie, allegiance in many of these areas because of these differences. What was important though is the Roman Catholics were against them all. Like I say, they burned all of some of these guys with equity. They didn't care. According to the Roman Catholics, they were all heretics. You know, we still have those differences. The Lutherans still believe in consubstantiation, we have the Anabaptists, don't believe in infant baptism. But we look at them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Those nuances aren't to the point that we call them non-believers and feel that they should be fried. So you see how bad it was where John Calvin grew up? We thought we had it bad. I mean, they couldn't even go out Outside of some of the city gates, because of the Roman Catholic spies, had the right to capture them or kill them. So they were constantly in danger. If you were a reformer, but you know what, Calvin decided at a young age he was going to serve King Jesus. he saw in many of these difficulties opportunities to bring unity to the church. He was realizing that God had brought him up, had given him a great mind for the task. You know, God's law is for all men and for all times. with the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, we do have the answers to reform our nation from the bottom up. And it may take time. It took time for it to end up where it is now. We still have God's word clearly presented all around us. But will we act on it? Will we live a life of sacrifice for our king, for our God? It will be the same. Some will believe, some will reject, some will reject with hostility. Others will ponder and we keep working and working. But sooner or later, men jump to one side of the fence or the other. I will say with 100% certainty... We are in a spiritual war in this nation. I can't believe how wicked some of these people are. Drag shows at libraries for five-year-olds. Encouraging the five-year-olds to be touching the private parts of these weirdos. I never thought in my life that would happen. And yet... One party, the Democratic Party, defends it. If that isn't satanic, I don't know what is. But we see it coming out all over the place, schools, libraries, the Brewers game. How pathetic. We're in a fight. England and France fought the 100-year war, it was called. It was 113 years. That's nothing compared to the war between Christianity and Satan. That war started in the early church. It will end when Christ returns. We're in a fight. Acknowledge you're in a fight. Otherwise, we're just going to keep taking hits and losing ground, and like Robin Voss, going and saying, I'm going to just compromise a few lives to abortion. Then it'll be a few more and a few more. And I am sick of it. Christy knows the saying I have for the Republicans, I can't say it in public. What they do when they get in power. I will say it's something they do with their thumbs, and they do nothing. We have to challenge the culture. It's up to the Church of Jesus Christ. What will happen if you do not stand up for the culture? Will your children have to fight the battle after more ground is lost? Will your grandchildren have to fight the battle when even more is lost? Will your children and your children curse you for sitting on the sidelines and giving them a nation that is pathetic, filthy, and unsafe? Or will they praise you for fighting the good fight? fighting to take ground for your king, Jesus. Even if you're lost in the battle. And there will be casualties. Just like there was in Calvin's time. But it's better to surrender and not fight. Or you go by the power of the Holy Spirit that worked through Calvin and will work through us as well. In the task that he's given us. And our faithfulness. And we start taking ground back. It may just start with taking ground back in our own families, our own lives. But that is how Christianity works. Are we going to finish the good fight? That's the challenge. We have to challenge ourselves. And I pray that God pesters your heart. Pesters your minds and gives you the wisdom to say, "Yeah, I'm ready to fight, God. Where do you want me to go? Let us pray, our Lord and our God, as we look at this incomplete look at history, I'm trying to have us look at the the big picture, Lord. Where do we stand? Where do we go from here? And I pray, O oh Lord, that, that uh, the Holy Spirit burns in our hearts to fight for King Jesus, to fight against the wickedness of the day for our sake, for our children's sake, and our children's children's sake. I pray, O oh Lord, that it is said of us that we have fought the good fight, that we have kept the faith, And Lord, you will be with us. You tell us, trust in the Lord. Do not fear the wicked men, but trust in you. Give us that trust in Jesus' name. Amen.